All right, well, I'm going to start. Some of you know our former youth pastor, Kyle White, was an author, is an author, actually. And I have several of Kyle's books. He does these little short stories. And I want to read one of his little, just part of it, actually. It's a letter he wrote to his sump pump. (laughs) Dear sump pump, thank you for your years of service, but let's drop the charade. Last week, during the relentless fall rainstorms, my wife even referred to you as that poor thing with all your whir whoosh clunking in that dark corner of the basement. Baloney. You may have fooled her, but I know that each whir whoosh clunk is the countdown to betrayal. Because of you, I live in constant fear in my own home. I can't win. If I do hear your whir-whoosh clunk on a rainy day, it means you are closer to failure and I closer to the brink of deluge. If I don't hear your whir-whoosh clunk, it means you've taken your proverbial finger out of the literal dam just to see the world go under. You've done it to us before. At the first drop of rain, I say to my wife, shh, did you hear the pump kick in? My wife loves being shushed, by the way. I run to the basement door to listen down the stairs around the furnace, past the golf clubs, into your darkness. Is that water flowing, I ask her? Do you hear laughter down there? Whir, whoosh, clunk. What other machine requires such attention? But you're more devil than machine. (laughs) And then he says a few more things and ends this little letter with this. I hate you, sump pump, but I need you. (laughs) Good old Kyle. But I like that because he's just talking about some, some of us have one. I do. Some of us don't. Those of us who have one or have had one in the past, ever had water in your basement, understand what he's talking about. And my point this morning was starting with that is that even our sump pumps become a source of restlessness in our lives. I want you to pause as we begin this morning before we get into a pretty sizable chunk of scripture, pretty thick, dense argument. I want to spend a little time for you to think through what's caused you stress this week? What's caused you to feel restless or anxious? I mean, we all have something, I'm sure. Maybe it's big level. Maybe it's cosmic. Maybe it's super small and personal. I couldn't find the paper clips. What's caused you stress this week? We're going to talk about rest. We're going to, we're going to end this section of Hebrews. The author is inviting us into the, out of our restlessness into the rest of God. And biblically, and I've done some work on this, the Bible really, I think, I've talked about this before, rest is really when you find yourself living from a place of both peace and purpose. And so as we start talking about restlessness, I want to remind you, because I'm aware of it, how hard it is to find peace in the times that we live in. We're in a land of perpetual and anxiety, a culture that thrives on producing anxiety and stress. I've said this before, but we wake up, we check the news just to find out what we're supposed to be, af- what am I supposed to be afraid of today? The news will tell you. You hear again and again that you don't have enough, you aren't good enough, you need more. There's pressure to please, perform, perfect, and prove. You're being pushed, shoved, and boxed in, and it's stressful. And we're caught up in the frenzy of it all. And then purpose. It's also hard to find purpose. And if you're self-aware, if you're reflective, you, you know enough to know that if you're living for the wrong purpose, it will bring unbelievable restlessness. 
We get caught up in the rat race. You and I have been formed or scripted to believe that the meaning of life will be attained or can be defined by the pursuit of these three idols that have pervaded human history, sex, money, and power. We're told that life is about accumulation and accomplishment. If you can acquire enough wealth, if you can obtain enough power, if you can have enough pleasurable experiences, then you win and life is worth it. And if you don't, you lose. And life has no meaning. It's not worth it. In fact, again, all these voices, advertising has found an amazing way to monetize our restlessness. Buy this, do this, eat this, drink this, have this, be this, own this, go here, go there. And you and I are told life's a game to be won, so get busy winning. Now, maybe just walking through that makes you feel that even more, right? The heavy burden that that is on all of us. So the good news is that the Bible gives us a very different script, a different story, a different invitation. And by being a disciple of Jesus, learning the life of Jesus, you and I can learn to relinquish some of the panic and anxiety and stress, (laughs) to get rid of some of the lies and find some freedom from our endless striving. We learn good news that life isn't about acquisition, accumulation, and accomplishments. Life is about learning to love. Love God and love your neighbor. Life is not a game to be won. Life is actually a gift to be lived with gratitude and delight and joy. And actually, as a pastor, I really do think one of the most radical and countercultural things an American Christian can do right now is to be at peace in the midst of all the frenzy and live with a clear purpose of love of God and love of neighbor. (laughs) Or as we'll talk about this morning, to enter into God's rest. We're in week three of our series, Jesus is Greater, Jesus is Better. We're in the book of Hebrews And what I've been telling you is that the author is writing to a community that's experiencing a lot of restlessness, a crisis of faith. And the the author is writing as a pastor to a congregation that is asking questions and wondering, is Jesus necessary because my life is getting harder because I'm following Jesus? I'm experiencing persecution, right? Jake could say 37 of my 40 colleagues of chaplains across the United States have walked away from the work. (laughs) Should I walk away too? Right? Can I leave this whole Christian thing behind and still find the peace and purpose that my soul longs for? And as we've been saying, and we will continue to say, because this is the heartbeat of the book of Hebrews, the author continues to elevate Jesus in every possible way a Jew, because it's Hebrews, right? It's written to a Jewish community. Messianic Jews, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they're wondering, do I have to follow Jesus? Can I go back to the old ways? And the author is elevating Jesus. If you long for peace and purpose, if you want to know the one true God, there's only Jesus. (laughs) There's no one else. There's no one like Jesus. You have nowhere else to go. It's Jesus alone. So that's going to get us to Hebrew. We're in Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to cover about a chapter and a half, right? Uh, now, it's thick, and I'm doing this because it's one unit, and I also don't want to be in Hebrews forever. It's one unit. We're going to cover some ground. It's all primarily around this idea of rest, and it is 
thick. It's, it's dense. The author, because he's writing to a Jewish community, is going to assume a lot of his audience. He's going to assume that, that the audience is very familiar with certain stories from the Old Testament that some of you will be familiar with, because I know you, and some of you won't, right? We're all at different places on our journey. And so I actually, and we're going to walk through this. I'm going to ask you to stay intellectually engaged just for about 10 minutes as we walk through the argument. And then I'm going to give you two paths. I'll give, some of you are going to want to go deeper, and I'll give you some paths you can go down to go deeper. And some of you are like, okay, Jeff, just break it to me simple, and I'll do that, okay? But just hang with us. Hang with us. One of the things the author is doing is that, and I'm stealing this, le- this language from the Bible Project. I'm a fan of the Bible Project. They do videos on books of the Bible if you want to study the Bible, but you want to get background. They have great videos on each book of the Bible. I haven't watched them all, but every one I've watched, I'm like, that's really well done. But they also have started doing these biblical themes, and they're tracing these themes, and they use this language where language or ideas or concepts or specific wording is hyperlinked through the Old Testament narrative in the Hebrew. (laughs) And so they trace these hyperlinks across the story, and they show you how it culminates in Jesus. It's really well done. I love a lot of their work. They, They do really good stuff. And so the author is going to hyperlink around this idea. We're going to talk about house and glory and then ultimately around this idea of rest. And he's assuming that that it's going to call to mind. So in the same way as if I give you these five words, it's it's going to launch a whole story in many of your minds. Luke, I am your father, right? And now you're in the Star Wars world and we could talk all, and some of you have watched all the TV shows, right? I've opened up a whole universe to you by five words. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. All these, he's assuming you're super familiar with the stories. Like a dad who said to me this week, if I have to watch Cars one more time, I'm going to go crazy, right? <laughs> you're super familiar with these things. That's what the author is doing. So join me in Hebrews chapter 3. He's going to start with, with Moses. He wants to talk about rest because he's exhorting them, and he's going to do this all the way, and we'll talk more and more about this as we go. He's going to encourage and warn, encourage and warn, and he's going to hold these intention. He's going to challenge and invite, challenge and invite. He's going to hold these intention, right? So Hebrews 3, he's going to begin this, and he's going to talk about rest. He's going to talk about Moses, but, so he, but he's like, well, I'm writing it to the Jewish audience, and I want them to understand Moses is amazing, but Jesus is better. <laughs> you know, we did the angels before. So chapter 3, verse 1, he's writing, you can see he's writing to a Christian community. Dear brothers and sisters who belong to God... And they're partners with those called to heaven. Pay attention, we'll come back to this, especially when we make it real simple. Think carefully about this Jesus. I mean, that just runs all the way through the letter. Think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger. Your translation may say apostle. He's the one sent from heaven, calling us to heaven. (laughs) Whom we declare to be God's messenger, his apostle, and high priest. And we're going to launch into the whole high priest thing next week, and we'll be there for a while. For he, Jesus, was faithful to God the Father who appointed him, just as, now we're going to compare, we're comparing Jesus, just as, Je- just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. We're talking about Moses and God's house. It's a hyperlink. We'll talk about that. But Jesus deserves far more glory. Now we're talking about God's house and we're talking about glory. Another hyperlink. I mean, the author of Hebrews knows the Bible so well. He has so much fun writing this letter. Jesus deserves more glory than Moses. He's greater than Moses. He's better than Moses. Moses is amazing. Jesus is better. 
Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. You don't walk up to a house and say, man, you did a good job building yourself. You find the builder and you say, that's amazing. How did you do this? That's, that's the analogy. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly, he's going to do a second contrast. He's just having fun. He's doing it quicker than we did with the angels before, right? He's just going fast. Moses, he was, he was faithful as a servant of God's house. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, he's not a servant. He's the son. Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And what is God's house? He says, we are God's house. No, no, he's speaking to a group of Christians, and he's speaking with encouragement and assurance. We are God's house. But he's writing from afar, and he doesn't know where everyone, you know, when you're, you're a pastor, you don't have 20-20 vision into where everybody's at. And so he, he believes that the church is doing okay. Like, there's a lot of assurance and encouragement, but there's a qualification because he doesn't know what everyone's dealing with. Think clearly about Jesus. Keep your heart and mind locked in on Jesus. He says, we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. It's all about Jesus. If your faith, if your trust, if your hope is in Jesus, you're fine. All the assurances that you could ever imagine. But if you begin to wander towards anything other than Jesus, you're starting to wander into dangerous. We, we talk about drifting. Don't go there. <laughs> So let me just say a little bit, and you, again, this is a place where you guys can go farther, but this language of house would get you to think of the temple. But he's talking about Moses as the builder. So what preceded the temple was the tabernacle. Moses is the one, it's how Exodus wraps up. Moses is the one who builds the first house, the tent, that the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, which we talked about in our previous series, is the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's the glory of God. <laughs> Dwelled in. So Moses builds this tent, but after Moses, after the tent, you know, David comes along and Solomon builds this temple. And in 2 Samuel 7, which is an important chapter in the Bible, if you've never read it, write it down, look it up, 2 Samuel 7, David comes to God and says, I want to build you a house. <laughs> and God says, and we might come back to this idea later in Hebrews, God says, your, your hands are too bloody, mm -mm, too much violence in your life, too much disregard for human life. You're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house because this is what the gracious God does. But he's not talking about a big building for David. He's talking about this line of descendants that would lead to the ultimate king who sits on the throne forever, right? And that comes full circle here in these verses. The author says, well, we are that. The church, the people of God are the house. And that's what Jesus is building. He's greater than Moses. But I think he kind of just throws this in here because he wants to talk about rest and he wants to do this by, by walking us through the narrative. So he, he starts with Moses and then he just jumps to Psalm 95 and the second half of Psalm 95. So we'll pick up in verse seven. That is why the Holy Spirit says today, and I love this is how, don't you love how he introduces scripture? This is what the Holy Spirit says. I like that. Today, and that today is very important. You'll see as we walk through, we're going to get into this argument around rest. He's assuming a lot of us as readers. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness, right? Here's the link to Moses. He says, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience. You can read Psalm 95, literally the Hebrews, Meribah and Massah, these, these locations. I'll come back to that in a little bit. But he's, he's referencing, again, he's assuming a lot. 
but he's assuming hyperlinks. We know the story. Oh, we know exactly what he's talking about. It's bringing in Star Wars, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, right? Return of the Word. It's all of that's just coming in because we know. We know the story, right? Even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, this is the warning. They saw these miraculous things I did to provide for them while they were in the wilderness. You and I know, we know what Jesus did for us on the cross. Don't disregard what God has done for us. Don't, don't, don't make God's grace cheap, right? Take it seriously. So God says, I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away. I do all this stuff for them, and they turn away, and they worship other gods. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took a note. This is why he picked Psalm 95. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil. and Don't be like that generation. Don't, your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God, right? Strong warning. In fact, he says, you as a church, as a family, you must warn each other every day. I love this. While it is still today. So every day you wake up, and it's today it applies. <laughs> today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and then hardened against God, because that, that leads to death. For if we are faithful to the end, persevere, right? We keep our eyes on Jesus, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. We will share in all that belongs to Christ. That's why we take discipleship so seriously here. (laughs) You keep your eyes on Jesus. You do this long obedience in the same direction. And all the assurances of Christ are ours. It's beautiful. Remember, and he's going to quote Psalm 95 again today. He says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And then he says, and who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led? Now, again, he's coming back to this, right? And he's contrasting. Look, at these, these are people Moses led. And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? That's who it was. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter the rest. But he doesn't stop there, right? So he's going to continue on this, he's, this dense little section. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. As long as it's today, that's, his promise still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. You lock in on anything other than Jesus and you're in trouble. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. He's a good pastor. He's taking scripture. He's applying it to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the face of those who listen to God. For only those who believe can enter his rest. Believe in Jesus, enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though, and now he's going to go to another hyperlink. Even though this rest has been ready since God made the world. (laughs) We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures, Genesis 2, where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my rest, my place of rest, Psalm 95. And so he's trying to, he's trying to teach here. So God's rest is there for people to enter, for you and me. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. 
So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted from Psalm 95, and he says it again. So I'm going to pause here before I wrap up this section. Let me just, so all of you can kind of get a little bit of this, this, this logic, and he's, he's enjoying this so much. There's so much that we could say about God's seventh day of creation and what it means. There's no, there's no evening and morning. It just goes on. It is, it is the, it's life at its full. It's eternal life. It really is eternal life, the seventh day. There's no evening and morning. It just keeps going. And so we know that God created rest from the beginning, and that's what, we were, that's what we're destined for. That's what we were created for. But... Adam and Eve, we were exiled from Eden, and so now we live outside of the seventh day. The rest is there, but we don't live in it. And then when we walk in disobedience, we are living outside of this rest. And so he talks about these wilderness generations. That first generation, they're freed from the slavery in Egypt, led by Moses, but they don't get into what they picture as rest, the promised land. Right? Deuteronomy ends with the first generation dies outside the promised land, and Moses himself doesn't get to enter into that rest. But then he goes to Psalm 95, and David is living in Jerusalem in the promised land, and David seems to think that living in the promised land isn't enough. The second generation does get into the promised land, but they never actually fully experience the rest God has for them because they repeat the sins of the previous generation. I mean, that's the whole book of the Old Testament. (laughs) Every generation repeats the sins of the generation before. And David is sitting there in the promised land where there was supposed to be this rest, and he's saying, there's still a greater rest out there, but we can enter it today if we trust God. That's the argument that is being made. So in verse 8 of chapter 4, we're almost to the end of the section. He says, now if Joshua, Joshua is the one who led them into the promised land. And he's basically saying Jesus is the greater Moses. I could also tell you he's the greater Joshua. I mean, Jesus is just the greater everything. If Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest till to come. David wouldn't have said what he said because they would have already entered it. So there is a special rest, a Sabbath rest, still waiting for the people of God, which probably may sound good to you because you're like, yeah, I've been feeling all this stress and restlessness and lack of meaning and lack of purpose. Where do I find this? I know plenty about restlessness. But here's here's what the author says. All who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labor. If you can enter into the rest of Jesus, you will, you will rest from all your strivings, <laughs> just as God did after he created the world. It's there for us. Verse 11, so let us, here's the call. I mean, all of that teaching was to get to this point. Let us do our best to enter that rest. And you're like, I didn't, you didn't need to tell me all that. I, I want the rest. I know the restlessness. You need to know it. You need to know the story. This is, you, this is how you counter all the lies out there is you know the true story. You know the story you're a part of. You're a part of this building. <laughs> We're the people of God. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we do disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Encouragement and warning, invitation and challenge. That's just the way Jesus worked as he talked about the kingdom. This is the picture that we're given. So here's what I said. I want to give you 
two pathways. If you want to go deeper, I'm gonna, I put sheets in the back by the communion elements back there. Uh, I've taught on this before, but I just did a one-page sheet of a bunch of verses you could look at that all talk about rest. They're hyperlinks throughout the Old Testament. If you want to go deeper, and the New Testament, actually, pick it up, read through it. If you want to talk to me about it, send me an email, ask me questions. I'd love, I'd love to talk about rest in the biblical narrative. It's a, it's a beautiful part of the big story, and, and it's so meaningful to me as a Christian today, actually. Uh, if you're not into reading a lot, but you wanna, you're taking, you're newer to this journey, and you're taking steps, and the Bible's intimidating. Again, the Bible Project has a lot of videos. If you if you go to the Bible Project, BibleProject.com, and type in rest or Sabbath, they did a five and a half minute video, really well done. That will again invite you deeper into the story of what we mean when we talk about rest in the Bible. But I wanted to give a few of you also just a little bit more because. Because again, what the author of Hebrews is doing is so cool. So the beginning of Psalm 95, it begins like, this is Psalm 95, verse 1. And the author is assuming you know all of it. It was part of their liturgy. is assuming that you know how the psalm begins. You know, you know the first line of a song. You know the refrain. You know the first line of the psalm. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. <laughs> It's an interesting phrase, the rock of our salvation, the rock of our rescue. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, while Moses is on the edge of entering the promised land, but he's not allowed to go in, we preached through Deuteronomy last year, he gives this song, this kind of summary of what they've encountered or experienced. In 32.15, we read this, but Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed, and then they abandoned the God who had made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. Again, Deuteronomy 32.15 is, is in short term saying what we were reading through in Hebrews. This is what happened to the wilderness generation. They made light of the rock of their, the one who saved them, they disregarded. But this idea of rock, and I think why Moses picks up on it, and then why Psalm 95 picks up on it, in this idea of testing and trial is that in these locations of Meribah and Massah, the people are testing God. They're in a place of restlessness. It's a crisis of faith. There is no water, and they're going to die. And in both of these places, you can go to the next slide, actually. And this is, this is further homework for you. I'm not going to read them for sake of time. But in both of these places, uh, God is going to provide water from a, wa from a rock, <laughs> In fact, in the Exodus passage, God says, I'm going to stand on the rock. <laughs> and the first time Moses is going to do it right, he's going to do what God said. The second time, he's not going to obey. He's not going to do what God said. It's going to, again, anger God. Why, why can't you just do what I tell you? But, but that, this idea of the rock of salvation, the rock of rescue, I mean, all, I just want you to see, because we can't do this every week through Hebrews because it would take us forever, but I want you to see this is no, like this is not just some letter that the guy just wrote off the top of his head. He is delighting and enjoying in the bigger biblical story. And some of you may enjoy tracking these things down uh, and getting deeper in the story. But for those of you newer to the church and you're like, this is overwhelming and I want to learn the story, but that's a lot as a fire hose. It is, sorry. Let me make it easy. Let me bookend this for you. In chapter three, verse one, the author says, think carefully about this Jesus. And if you think carefully about this Jesus, you see who he is and what he's done, then this is what it says at the end, then, then our response is to do our best to enter his rest. 
Do your best to enter his rest. Now, why do I feel so comfortable in saying Jesus is inviting you into his rest? It's because of what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And I also think the author knows this. This is probably one of the reasons why he runs with this. Because traveling through the churches as they talk about the things that Jesus said is this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I am your rest. (laughs) Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. You still need to be obedient. You need to learn my ways. I'm showing you how to live in a way that doesn't bring more anxiety and stress, in a way that isn't filled with striving. If If you obey me, I will show you how to live a life of peace and purpose a life of love. I will show you how to ignore the lies that say life is a game, and I will teach you that life is a gift to be lived, right? Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and with me you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. (laughs) Jesus is the one greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, and he is the only one who can open up this kind of rest. He is the Sabbath rest. He is the source of deep rest that we need. What Sabbath rest means is what Jesus has done and is doing. He's bringing it into existence. In other words, Sabbath rest is not a plan. It's not a day and it's not a location. It's a person and his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. And our faith is in Jesus. And if you enter his rest, you'll experience his gift of goodness, opening your heart to wonder, delight, awe, and gratitude. Jesus invites you to come to him and learn from him. He's not inviting you into his angst. If you come to him, I promise you, he won't poison your soul with anger or fear or anxiety. He'll detox your soul with peace not rage and fear. He'll use love, mercy, truth, and forgiveness to mold and shape you. And as you walk with Jesus with his easy yoke, you will learn to live your ordinary life with peace, purpose, wonder, gratitude, and delight. (laughs) Now that's a rich soul. Now I'd love to stop there, but I need to say one more thing, and maybe I'm doing this more for me than any of you but I don't think I am. And if I could say this because I have a teenager who will be at second service and I will address him then. Those of you in the teenage world, I also, I also think this uniquely pertains to you. Well, all of us, but I have a heart for you because I have one at home. We often, as we think about rest, confuse relaxation with restoration. The rest of Jesus is restorative to our soul. And I want to be very clear, relaxation is not bad, but it's not the same thing. I'm not anti-relaxing, but when I talk about the rest of God, I'm talking about what restores your soul, not what fills your free time. Most of our relaxing is just escaping the pressure of our ordinary life and squandering our precious reserves of free time on things that don't actually restore our soul. I mean, just one example, I read this years ago, but the CEO of Netflix at one point said, 
my greatest competitor is not Apple and Amazon, it's sleep. Now, I want you to think about that. Most of us think we need to relax and check out technologically, but the designers behind the things that you're consuming actually don't even want you to sleep. They just want you to keep binge watching, <laughs> keep paying more money and buying more stuff. They don't care about you. <laughs> they just want your resources. You are a means to an end for them. Remember with Jesus, you are never a means to an end. You are always an end to yourself. He will never use you. He will just shower you with love. And what happens when we binge on technology, the only, the, the, it only are, it increases our desire for more. It doesn't really bring about a soul that longs for delight and awe and gratitude. Relaxing tends to be filling our time with passing pleasure. And again, that's not all bad, but you just need to understand there's a difference between relaxing and restoring. And sometimes restoring takes work. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke. That's an agricultural metaphor of work. Sometimes you need to do work with Jesus with your free time. Or you will never know the life that he offers you. And let me say it this way, and then I'll wrap up here. But I believe you will begin to see the fruit of God's rest in your life when your ordinary life is enough. When where you are right now is enough. And you can wake up in the... And, and this might take a little journey of discipleship. It doesn't mean you immediately know this now. But if you want to enter into the life of Jesus, if you want to get to know Jesus, you wake up in the morning and you say, thank you, God, for another day. And whatever the day brings, whether it's hard or, or, or possibly scary or just boring... <laughs> I'm going to learn to find meaning and wonder and gratitude in this day because you've made it, because life is a gift to be lived. Man, you want a life like that? You don't need more stuff. In other words, all you need is Jesus, and you'll be okay. For eternity and also for today. Amen?